Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. This podcast is for entertainment purposes only and does not replace your own financial, tax, legal, or financial product advice. Hello, Australia. Welcome to My Millennial Money. I'm Glenn James. And today on this episode, we've got another guest host and regular at My Millennial Money, Vince Gully. Welcome to the podcast today. G'day, Glenn. It's great to be here again. It is. Now, we won't do a campfire chat today. Total fire ban. Total fire ban. So, none of that stuff. But before we get into this episode, I just wanted to say to everybody, thank you so much if you've already purchased one of uh, my books, Sort Your Money Out and Get Invested. Only one. Or... If you've bought two or three or four. So thank you everybody so much for your support. At the time of me speaking right now, it's the 2nd of September. I'm middle of recording the audio book. But of course, there will be a link in the show notes if you wanted to buy the book and uh, enter the competition. And you'll have to go to the show note for more details on the competition. But uh, you're not going to tell us, share with us what, what I can win. No, but uh, a total of 35% off if you buy. Uh, before the end of September. Buy two. Buy two. One for you, one for a friend. Thank you so much, everyone. Vince, at the moment, due to the overwhelming amount of support, it is number two in the non-fiction bestseller list at Booktopia. And uh, Non-fiction. Non-fiction. Well, <laughs> to be honest, a freaking lot of it's probably crap. But anyway, <laughs> thank you so much, everybody. Now, Vince... Well, if you listen to the crypto guys, everyone, they all believe that money is a fiction anyway. True, true. You ready to have a chat? Chat hard. Okay, Vince, what I want to talk to you about today, uh, a couple of things. I want to talk about, in recent weeks, the announcement of all these super funds that have been- Or not so super funds. Or not so super funds that have been named and shamed. Oh, named and shamed. So- Was that a bit of ASMR? Yes. So, what is the go with this APRA data that the ATO is putting through their tool? The theory is that because it's so hard for the average Australian to try and work out which one of the hundreds of super funds they should buy, APRA came up with this concept of a a heat map, which tried to map performance, asset allocation and fees And they've been collecting this data now for, I think, the seventh year numbers are out. And as part of that, they've said, look, if you want to be a My Super Super Fund, which is uh, an endorsement you need as a super fund to become a default super fund, you've got to submit yourself to this performance check. So APRA developed some some benchmarks, which said if you're this type of super fund using this type of assets, you should be making X percent this year. And if you didn't, you have to tell your members. So in the last week, the first batch of letters has gone out to the first 11 super funds that failed the benchmark test. And those members have now been told, look, we stuffed up. We earned less than we should have done. Um, 
go and have a look at the government benchmarks and see what difference it might make to you and why you should possibly think of moving somewhere else. And if they don't buck their act up, am I allowed to say that? Buck their act up? Um, I don't know. What does that mean? <laughs> I don't know. Get their act together and um, they'll eventually be banned from taking new members. Okay. So there's a lot going on with what you just said. Yes. So I want to just rewind, unpack it, because I need to give this the time for people to fully understand what's going on. So, number one, can you explain, and we'll use a super fund called Australian Super, for example. Who do have a My Super option. That's right. So, you're leading you down the garden path. So, tell me, there's an Australian Super uh, balanced fund, and then there's a default My Super investment, for example. Which I think is their balanced fund. Yes. But, so, each super fund can nominate one investment option to be a My Super Fund. And in order to get the tick of approval, it's like the, the Heart Foundation tick of good health, they need to meet certain requirements. So, they've got to have a simple fee structure. They've got to have a single investment strategy. They've got to, have a, they've got to meet a benchmark on fees. They've got to publish this thing called a dashboard. It's supposed to be a simple, good enough fund that Blind Freddy could use and it'd be all okay. Which will then allow it to qualify to be a default fund for those people who don't actively make a choice. Mm. So if you rock up to your employer and you don't choose a super fund, your employer must put your contributions into their default fund. And in order to be a default fund, it's got to be a my super fund. And there's 80 of them. Yes. Now, so... It's not a sign that they're just a good super fund. It's a sign that they tick all the government's boxes. So it's important to understand that Australian Super has a My Super option and a whole heap of other investment options. So now, Vince, if we then go, uh, there was a, a My Super fund on the list, Colonial First State, yep. First Choice. Was it First Choice? First Choice. Yeah. Now, people might be thinking, I've got My Super with Colonial First State. They've been named on the list oh my goodness, but there is a high chance that you might not be in the My Super Investment option, so you can't throw out the baby with the bathwater. Right. It's almost certain that if you acquired your Colonial First State Super Fund through an advisor, that you're not in the My Super option. Uh, the My Super option within Colonial First State is not particularly cheap, and as these performance numbers show, not particularly well-performing. At LifeShipper, we use Colonial First Aid for a lot of our younger members with smaller balances, and we've built a number of portfolios in it. Now, they're not my super options, so you couldn't, an employer couldn't use one of those portfolios as their default. That but you could elect your employer yeah. to use this fund. Yeah, which is one of the absurdities about this whole my super process that when we hire someone at LifeSherpa, we can't actually say, oh, actually, you should use one of these portfolios that we use for our members. Mm. And we can't tell them about them mm. <laughs> without giving them advice. Yeah. So we're forced to have a default fund, which is a fund that we would never recommend to our members. It's just a- Do you think the legislators have just overcooked this in the interest of trying to make it better? 
I suspect there's a lot of vested interests mm. have a huge interest in maintaining a status quo. And if you look at the the list of 80 funds, there's a lot of big names in there. Mm. And, you know, I'm sure no, no one listening is bothered doing this, but if you go through the APRA heat map data and you look at the big funds, the vast bulk of their members are in the my super option mm. and it's in their interests to maintain that status quo. Mm. Yeah. And I don't want to get into the conspiracy of, you know, what funds are doing in the background uh, just yet. We can save that for the <laughs> campfire. That's right. When we crack open the marshmallows. But it's important to note that if you had Colonial First State, my super option, the government are saying to Colonial First State, you need to tell your members that their fund is listed in the blacklist or the poor performance. That's right. Now, question, if I had one of your portfolios as a client of yours, would CFS write to everyone regardless or just write to those invested in the My Super option? Do we know that yet? We don't know, but I suspect that because of the way the numbers work, they're probably just going to send it to everyone because the obligation is on the trustee mm. and it's the same trustee. So I suspect that these letters may get more widely dispersed than- Maybe you need like, to send this episode to all your clients, Vince. <laughs> so in fact, I wrote a letter to our client, all of our client, all of our members today mm. on this very point right. saying, you know, you may have read this in the in the press. You may even have got a letter from Colonial Fair State here's what it's about and why you don't need to worry. And the rationale with all this is they've got to tell members so people are aware that their My Super option is not performing. Mm. However, if they don't pick up their act in the second year, they can't accept money into the My Super option as well. I think it's just they can't accept new members. New members into the option or to the... Into the option. Yes. So... It's a big deal if you're a big default fund mm. um, where you're the default option on a big award, for example. Like if it was the rest core strategy for all Woolworths employees yeah. or something like that. Yeah. yeah. So I think the one of the maritime funds is on the list. Mm. Ahoy? Ahoy. And um, you've got a boat. <laughs> um, I do. <laughs> speaking of ahoy. So that could potentially cause a big issue for a fund like that. Mm. For a a colonial first state, it's probably less of a deal because fewer of their members are in the default option. But it's just the optics game. Yeah. Like these funds, like colonial, and I know that they're mainly more of a um, you know platform for mm. want of a better word, you know, they probably haven't paid that much attention to their my super option. No, it's, I mean, that'll be part of their corporate super business. Mm which probably sits in a different building or a different floor from the retail guys. Yeah. And yeah, probably doesn't get as much love and attention. So I guess that kind of just explains, if you do see your super company slammed all over the newspaper or the TV or whatever, don't automatically get your back up and think, oh, the world's ending. Mm -hmm. Just do a bit of digging. Call the fund and say, does this affect me? Am I in the my super yeah. Low-cost default option anyway. Yeah. It's not necessarily low-cost. Uh, in fact, the colonial first state, first choice, 
my super option is more expensive than the Life Sherpa tailored portfolio. Yeah. Well, it's supposed to be a no frills offering. Yeah. And it's got to have certain levels of insurance and there's a whole bunch of boxes it's got to tick. Mm. Um, and the big one that makes it hard for funds to qualify is that it's got to be a single strategy. Mm. So that's fine if you're Aussie Super when 80-odd percent of your members are in the My Super Balance product. Yeah. And one of the ways of telling is if you go on any of these Super Funds websites, the basic PDS is usually for the My Super option. Mm. And you'll need to dig around for something called a member's handbook or an investment brochure or something else, mm. which will have in small print supplemental PDS or something on the front of it. So here's a, a question, Vince. Can you ask me a question? Can you say, Glenn, Glenn, how do I choose the right super fund? Glenn, how do I choose the right super fund? Well, Vince, I'm glad you asked me because I would probably draw an analogy to how do I choose a new car and what I need to do. Well, you do that every few months. I do that sometimes. What you need to do, you need to do some basic research of a few different cars. Do you want complex? So do I need the, I don't know, the Prado with all the racks and all that? Or do I just want a four-cylinder, yeah. 1.8 litre zip around? So once we know that we don't need complexity, we need to understand that, well, I, I just want something that's mid-range, half decent. So what you would do is you might go and have a look at Toyota, you might go have a look at Mazda, you might go have a look at Kia. Have a look at some different cars. Once you have a look at a few, you start to learn how that class of car mm. is and what the value is. So would you say that's akin to just start to have a look at some of these super fund websites and start to understand how they invest money, even if it is the default option? Yep. Because the more you understand and the more you know, the easier it is to make a decision. It is. And it's actually the differences that matter rather than the similarities. Yeah. Um, but the first point I, I would say is, well, the first piece of research is researching yourself. Mm. So what is it that you, what you need and want? And the thing that makes the biggest difference, it's not fees or past performance, which is where most people look, in fact, mm. where the media would say you should look, because neither, by the way, are reliable indicators of future fees or future costs. Mm. The thing that makes the biggest difference is what's called asset allocation, and that's the the things it's invested in. So how much is invested in shares, how much is invested in bonds, how much of it's invested in infrastructure, how much is in real estate, how much is in big shares, small shares, Australian shares, international shares. All those things make much bigger differences to your ultimate outcome than fees or what it did last year. Mm. And that's a function of what you want. So what do you, you know, so someone who's 55 and has a large balance and is thinking of retiring sometime soon would have a different approach to asset allocation than someone who's 22 and has got $5,000 balance. So knowing yourself is step number one, then trying to find a, a bunch of funds that meet that broad criteria and then try and compare them. And the trick with it is when you read a PDS is look for what's different to the other one because they all look the same. Mm. Like it's really hard to pick one up at, at a page apart from the colour of the font mm. whose PDS that is. They all look the same. So it's the little nuanced differences that, you know, when you read six of them, 
you'll go, oh, that's why wasn't that in that PDS? Yeah, and I think, you know, I didn't mean this to be a plug for the book, but I'll go there. Like, <laughs> Surely if you, not. No, I actually didn't. Um, if you did want to review Superfund, just grab a copy of the book, you know, under $30 at the moment. I do real live case studies. So I did a review of, I think I did a Wear Super versus mm-hmm. Australian Super. And then in the table, we did asset allocation, fees, investment, standard risk measure, all the different components that make up a super fund. And then there's another column there. So what I'd want you to do when you read the book, because Vince, I'm not telling people, go and use this fund, it's the cheapest. Well, there is only one answer, isn't there? Isn't it? If you read read the media, (laughs) um, there is only one answer. Um, I'm not one to tell you uh, to just do this. I'd rather educate you. So, if you grab the book, I say, grab the Australian Super PDS, grab the Aware Super PDS, find the same numbers that I've used in my columns, and then you can either look at your own fund and just write in your own answers. So, then you'll be able to really see the differences because we just need to be familiar with the terms. And you know, Vince, in the book, I really didn't speak about returns that much. Yeah, because I mean, it actually doesn't matter. Um, like yeah. I, they're in the tables and all that, but we're not saying, "Oh, I'm only investing in Spaceship Subu because they did 28 percent last year." Like, no, we can't do that. That's right, and it's because the the returns driven largely by what it's invested in. So, a fund that did well last year, most funds did north of 25. Yeah, so a fund that does 28 and is invested in global shares should behave differently than a fund that's invested in Aussie shares. Mm. And you need to be able to say, well, how much of that difference is accounted for by that difference and which one is more appropriate to own it? So Mm. I wouldn't be looking – I'd almost not look at the return column. um, because it doesn't tell you very much unless you're comparing like with like. Because most people, when looking for a car, when they're at the car yard, you know, and there's always outliers, most people aren't like, what's the fuel economy of the Corolla versus the Mazda? They want to jump in. Does this feel good? Feel the leather. Yeah, like all that stuff. Oh, by the way, it uses premium or, you know, I don't know. We just can't major on the miners. The mini miners? The mini miners. Any final words on choosing your own super fund? And in the book, I did compare one fund and investment options that are similar within that fund. I mean, this is one of the, I guess, the big negatives of the whole super choice thing. Mm. The fact that Australia's got a world-class retirement saving system, we're now one of the biggest markets in the world. It's like over three trillion or something? It's a lot. Mm. And um a thousand billion? That's a lot. Mm. More than I could spend in my lifetime. Mm. But yeah, we've had it for thirty years almost now. Mm. And effectively all of us have been turned into little fund managers. So the government is saying we want you to Take control of your own retirement. You're responsible for managing all this money that we're forcing your employer to put away for you. And we haven't really been given the tools to make that decision. So Australia ranks at the bottom of the global 
disclosure standards for retirement savings programs in a class of its own at the bottom. And the documents are all really hard to read and very hard to identify what the real differences are. Yeah, the Australian super, and they're not alone here, that PDS spends about 70% of the column inches on how super works and a tiny little bit on how Australian super works. Mm. So when you look at them all side by side, they all look the same. I think there's a line in the book I said, look, after 40 minutes of researching online for publicly available information, Mm. not like paid as an advisor and all that, I gave up on one of the comparisons. Mm. I'm like, I actually can't find the data online to compare these funds. Yeah, it's really hard. So it's just, I don't know, Vince. Um, And that's why good advice pays off, Mm. that it's just quite difficult to make a meaningful decision. And yet, you know, there's a handful of things you can do right now, that is, you know, get all your soup in the one place, or find it all, bring it into the one place, make sure it's invested in the right place, keep your hands off it for 40 years. If you can just do those four things um, as a 25-year-old, you're ahead of the game. Mm. Hey, you sent me an article this morning from the AFR. <laughs> Afterpay comparisons as refunds start up refunded raises $3 million. Yeah, this was an amazing story. The deal here is this, this new company is going to effectively give you an advance on your refund when you return something <laughs> to an online. So Afterpay lends you the money to buy it. <laughs> And then when you return it, um, you uh, get your refund within 30 seconds or 30 minutes. Okay, so... While you're waiting for your return to make it back to the merchant and then process it. So one of my team here was talking about how pre-COVID when they'd go out for drinks on a Friday night, they go and order three, three outfits from the Iconic with three-hour delivery try them all on and return two of them and pay for it on Afterpay so they only pay for... By the time they made the first payment, they've paid for the one they're going to keep and the refund will get processed before the final payment gets done. Whereas now, they can actually get the money back that afternoon and spend it at the pub that night. Give me a freaking (laughs) break. So, uh, innovation in financial services, I'm not sure, is always a good thing. This is the problem. Like... You can get your pay in advance yep. from Compay, advance pay. You can after pay stuff. You can get your refunds faster. Mm. It's like we're getting to this point where we're like the US government. The money doesn't actually exist. Like, <laughs> Well, money doesn't actually exist. <laughs> yeah, well, but like it's, I just know when the shat hits the fan, someone's going to be left holding the bag. Mm. Like it always has to be, doesn't it? Yeah. And as a merchant, I'm not even sure that's such a good deal that, you know, I'm going to pay, you know, I'm going to pay my buy now, pay later provider, I'm going to pay the credit card merchant, I'm going to pay the refund funder, and I'm going to pay for shipping. Um, I mean, ultimately, the customer pays for all of this. Oh, 100%. So, um, but, so, you know, they all have their place, I suppose, but this one was one that just... Um, yeah, so Sue Mitchell writes, refunded... A- 
fintech startup offering instant refunds for online purchases is barely a year old, but comparisons are already being made with Buy Now Pay Later Pioneer Afterpay because of, because of its ability to take pain points out of online shopping. We don't like any pain as a society anymore, Vince. Especially the pain of paying. Ref- I like the pleasure of purchasing, mm. but not the pain of paying. Refunded has raised $3 million in a funding round led by Afterpay-backed venture capital fund, AP Ventures. So, yeah, I just thought that was an interesting one to talk about. Uh, I'm all for innovation, mm. absolutely, but I just like to keep my life simple. I get paid, I buy crap, and I move on. <laughs> that sounds pretty wild. Mm-hmm. Um, well, you obviously haven't spent it on jeans. No, they're a bit ripped. But uh, let's have a quick break and we'll come back and talk about Gen X. Gen X. If you're after personal financial advice, don't get it from a podcast. If you would like help based on your own personal situation, head over to sortyourmoneyout.com. Click get help and we'd be happy to introduce you to one of our trusted advisors. Our panel of advisors, mortgage brokers and accountants work with clients all over Australia so they can connect with you wherever you are. That's sortyourmoneyout.com and click get help. Okay, I got an email and if you ever want to reach out to me or the team, you can go to mymillennial.money and click get in contact or something like that. I don't actually know, but you do it on the website. On the electric website. From Christy Hooper. Message. I'm mutton dressed as lamb. That's right. I'm Gen X wanting to be a millennial. I've I'm rec- a boomer wanting to be a millennial. Yeah. <laughs> I've recently enjoyed listening to your podcast and YouTube videos. As I mentioned when I signed up, I've gone through copious amounts of caffeine and eye cream to hide the bags under my eyes from staying up late watching and listening to your back episodes. My husband and I joke, Glenn, that you are the only guy I can date. Usually it's a Tuesday night when I hunker down and catch up on all the episodes from the week. So here are a few ideas I thought would throw out for future podcasts. So let's have a look at her little list here. Vince, she says Economics 101. How do world events affect the market? You touched on it once in a podcast, but perhaps dive a bit deeper. Maybe that's one for a campfire chat. But yeah, I think that's a bit more than an express. But usually with world markets, like the second wave, as real example is this COVID thing, right? With the second waves happening, the markets had already factored in the shock, the uncertainty from the first wave. So the markets didn't really need to react and particularly in Australia and New South Wales going into lockdown the second time, the ASX didn't really get much of an impact because in the world sense, we're such a small economy and in a local sense, as people living and investing, we knew from the first lockdown that, oh, it's fine, it's kind of just business as usual, quote unquote, and things will just go on. Yeah, I mean, ultimately there's two things that drive Markets, there's um, the real underlying economy. Mm. So when you're looking at a business, you know, how many widgets did it sell this year? How many widgets is it going to sell next year? And then there's the market sentiment, which is how much do I like that cash flow and how much, how much am I prepared to pay for it? And those two often get out of whack temporarily. So if you look at what happened in, in March of last year when this first hit, you know, we had a peak in February 21st, and then it you know, collapsed by 30-odd percent and really recovered by 
October yeah. ish. Yeah. And so for the for the financial year to June 30, 21, the market returned, or the Australian share market returned like 26% mm. from the depths of depression. But much of that was the recovery to the February 21 peak. So a lot of it's sentiment. Um, and the question is, well, how much of it's already baked in? And are these really material in the long term? And in most cases, they're not. The issue is, like if the market takes a dive, it's not because the ASX top 200 companies are going bankrupt. No. Like they're all quality, most of them are quality companies that will continue and um, and maybe it is one for an economist mm-hmm. um, to really answer that. But here's one here, Vince, uh, going on uh, from the markets thing. If you already have investment properties, should you shy away from REITs? as you already have a foot in the property market. Now, do you want to explain these real estate investment trusts slash REITs? Yep. So a real estate investment trust is simply a vehicle that allows you to invest in real estate without buying the actual bricks and mortars. In most cases, that means commercial property. I don't think there's an Australian residential REIT. They do exist in the US, but here they, they don't. They would have went all right during the GFC. Yeah. Not. <laughs> <laughs> um, so REIT, or Real Estate Investment Trust, is what it says on the box, and that's what you get. So it's a trust in which you can invest in real estate. Mm. And real estate has the advantage that it is more stable than companies generally, and particularly with commercial real estate because there's a long-term lease. So you might find a warehouse that's been leased on a 20-year lease to Amazon um, and that lease might have fixed rental increases. So you don't have to worry about vacancies. You don't have to worry about what the economy is going to do next year because the rent from Amazon will roll in. So they are generally more stable investments. And in in Australia, it generally means shops, so things like vicinity centres, pubs, things like ALH, warehouses, things like... um, Goodman, what's it called? Goodman Group? Yeah. Um, or offices, things like Dex's or Charter Hall. Um, and they will behave entirely differently to residential real estate. And because that's largely because they are fundamentally driven by inflation and GDP growth. Whereas residential real estate is very much a supply and demand fashion and it just behaves completely differently. So I see no real correlation between the two. And I would not change a portfolio. I wouldn't construct a different portfolio because you owned a piece of residential real estate. On the REITs thing, uh, you know, winding back over 10 years, 10, 12 years when I was uh, just working down the road here, you know, financial advising office, high net worth clients, uh, there'd be a lot of these unlisted REITs mm. that clients would buy parcels of either fifty or $100,000. It might be the Centro 32 property fund and there's a new shopping centre on the Sunshine Coast or something like that. Talk to us about the listed exposure versus unlisted yeah. with REITs. So th- there's pluses and minuses of both. The advantage of the listed stuff is that you can get in and out easier because they trade on the ASX and if you place a sell order, you'll almost certainly get filled. 
The downside of being listed is they tend to suffer a bit from the same ups and downs as um, normal shares. So when BHP and Rio go up and down, they tend to drag the REITs up and down with them. They're affected by sentiment. And so you have a bit of market noise along, along with the real estate investment. You also have less, often less visibility on what's in it or will be in it. So you might, you know what today's portfolio looks like, but you don't know what they're going to buy tomorrow. The unlisted stuff uh, was typically single properties. Mm. So it was very clear what you were buying. So you could good buy- Good yield as well. And some many of them had good mm. yields. Um, and um, the downside of those unlisted ones was they were very hard to get in and out of. So you were broadly relying on someone else wanting to buy in. And so come the GFC, many people got stuck in them. Mm. I mean, I think there's still some AMP property funds that are still frozen. Yeah. And so, but the big advantage is you know precisely what you're buying. So you can say, look, I want to buy this syndicate that invests in the Maryborough Shopping Centre. Yeah. Which is fine if you are in a position to form a view on what the Maryborough Shopping mm. Centre should look like. But if you're a high, high net, ultra net worth type of person, oh, sure, I'll throw 100 grand yeah. in that shopping centre and move on with your life. Yeah. I mean, if you're just starting, you're investing, um, you know, you've just started your emergency funding and want to get yeah. investing, we're probably not putting yeah. our money into an unlisted property trust. That's right. So if you've got a yeah, $100,000, $200,000 portfolio, that's probably not something where you really want to be. If you're investing a few million, absolutely. Let's just draw a parallel. Uh, the REITs that are listed would be usually considered an active fund. Yes. If there's a more than one property. Yeah. Where you wouldn't strictly call the Vanguard Australian Property Fund or VAP a REIT, would you? No, it's more a fund that invests in REITs. So it's a basket of REIT holdings. Um, so in that fund, for example, Vince, um, it could be the GPT Group. Dexas. Dexas. Westfield's gone now. Yeah. Um, well, vicinity still. Vicinity, is. yeah. I mean, Westfield used to be 25% of the index. Mm. So you are investing in a basket of REITs when you buy VAP. Okay, let's dig down a little bit further this uh, rabbit hole. You could technically build your own portfolio of commercial property. So you could say, well, I'm going to buy uh, Dexas shares. I'm going to buy Goodman shares um, and just build your own and get your own exposure to property. Yeah. I mean, you could, you know, you might have a view that, um, well, with COVID, retail's not doing particularly well, but everyone's doing online shopping. So warehouses are good. Mm. So maybe I should invest in the Goodman Group. Mm. How successful you'll be is another question, mm. but um, absolutely. And some of the more exotic stuff, um, I mean, there was a fund uh, which owned a whole bunch of Bunnings warehouses, which 10 years ago was a great investment because mm. Bunnings wasn't the beer moth it is now. Mm. And so people are accepting that a, a lease to Bunnings is sort of as good as the, almost as good as the Australian government. And so that's been priced like a government bond almost, whereas 10 years ago, people weren't quite so sure about it. Um, There's a whole bunch of pubs that uh, Woolworths sold off about 20 years ago, maybe? When was ALH floated? I have no idea. 
it'd be the early 2000s. Um, so Woolworths just sold off all their pubs on a lease back to Woolworths. So what, what are you buying? You're buying a Woolworths cash flow. And that's just gone from strength to strength. So question, and I don't suppose, you know, you know the answer to this. Um, so West Farmers who own Bunnings. Correct. Do Bunnings, does that entity own the Bunnings stores or are we saying there's a... There is a trust called BWP, I think is the ticker, yeah. which owns a heap of Bunnings warehouses, I suppose. And which the Bunnings entity would lease, lease them, yeah. yeah. And so that was a, a particularly attractive investment 10 years ago. Mm. It's not been so attractive recently. But those opportunities do arise. But that's a very different investment than buying a two-bedroom unit in Waterloo. So, yeah, I think to uh, Christy's point, like if she already has investment properties, I'll go out on a limb to say that she's got residential property. The REIT stuff, it comes back to asset allocation. Yeah. Do I want uh, an exposure to commercial or yeah. industrial? Yeah. yeah. If you just buy ASX 200, you will have some allocation to it. Mm. Um, we would, at Lifeship, we would generally add a extra allocation to REITs. Um, to dampen down volatility a bit. I don't actually mind VAP, hmm. um, the Vanguard Australian yeah. property. I reckon it's a good little fund if you want a bit of property, sex and spice. Yeah. I mean, we use the, the global one, DJRE, quite a bit. Yeah. Yeah, interesting. And lastly, uh, Christy also says, hedge or not to hedge? That is the question. I like hedges. But it is an interesting question she raised, and it's one that gets a lot of press because um, for those people who are invested in VDHG, um, the Vanguard Diversified Growth High Growth Fund, it hedges part of its global equities exposure. Now, what does she mean by hedging? Well, hedging is doing something to remove the currency risk involved in buying overseas assets. So if you go and buy some Apple shares, you've got to turn your Aussie dollars into US dollars and you're going to buy something that's quoted in US dollars. So as Apple moves up and down, the price changes in US dollars and also the conversion rate between US dollars and Australian dollars changes every day, which creates for which creates potentially greater volatility. And you then have a decision, well, do I want to get rid of the Aussie US dollar risk in that by hedging? So I would buy some sort of currency contract, which would offset those ups and downs. Our general view at LifeShopper is that we don't hedge equities. And the reason for that is part of the rationale for buying overseas shares is diversification. And that diversification is companies, it's countries, it's currencies, it's governments, it's regulation. And by hedging your currency, you're actually removing one element of your diversification. It also costs money um, and in the long term tends not to add a lot of value. It does have the advantage of dampening volatility in the short term, but our view is that it's... um, more expensive than it adds. On the other hand, if you're going to buy bonds, we would generally hedge our bond exposure. And that's because the purpose of adding bonds to your portfolio is to dampen down 
risk. So you actually don't want currency risk in your well, risk. And bonds income. generally smooth out a return anyway. Yeah. And the advantage, where because Australian interest rates are higher than global interest rates, the hedge actually increases your yield. I'm not going to into the maths here, but just take it. So, yeah, so the Vanguard Diversified High Growth Fund, uh, you know, there's 42-ish percent exposure to international equities. Mm-hmm. Now- Half of it's hedged. Well, 16 at the moment. 16 out of 42. Yep. Okay. Now, they've obviously, for whatever reasons, their data, their, you know, AI, their algorithms- that and this is where you go into fund manager intellectual mm-hmm. property and how they yeah. see the world, right? Well, they've actually got an explanation for their position. There is a white paper called uh, "They've Got Asset Allocation for Australians" or something. It's actually a good read, mm. and it goes into their rationale for why they've chosen the number they've chosen. But that's what I mean. Like as a portfolio manager, they've said, "Well, we believe, you know, the asset allocation, the strategic asset allocation of." 16% hedged international. We believe this and this is why and we hang our hat on it. Mm-hmm. It's also another place to hide fees that don't have to be disclosed. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Um, so not suggesting the Vanguard's doing anything. We're not suggesting toward. anything like that. But And this is it. And I'll just say on this, like with all these stock trading platforms and crypto platforms and all that, when they say you can buy international shares with no brokerage, so it's free, Guess what, everyone? Nothing's ever free. Wild, right? Mm-hmm. But they make money on the currency split and the currency... Oh, what's, I've lost the word. Exchange rate. Spread, sorry. Spread. I meant spread. Oh, you're getting very technical. I know. Well, I've spent four hours reading out loud today, <laughs> so I'm a bit fried. So, that's just for another day, isn't it? It is. But our view, don't hedge equities, hedge bonds. Well... There you go. You've heard it here second because you've probably said it on a campfire chat before. <laughs> well, that's been a fun chat. Thank you so much for everyone uh, that's listening. And we will do another deep dive technical chat with Vince. Uh, but until next time, if you found this episode useful, please feel free to send it to a friend or a family member. And if you listen on Apple and you like what we're doing at My Millennial Money, uh, I'd value a nice little review. And oh, reviews are good, especially five-star ones. Yeah, five-star. Four. Actually, there was a podcast that I listened to in America. I forget what it was. And they had this joke. They're like, please, if you want to, like, slam us, just still give us a five-star review. And then slam. So, it was this thing. It was like everyone was giving five stars. Like, they're the biggest assholes in the world. <laughs> it just reminds me of when, when I was a kid, we used to go to the pantomime at Christmas every right. year. And at the end of it, they would they would say... If you like the show, tell your friends. If you didn't like it, save your breath to cool your porridge. Well, there you go. All right, peeps. Thank you so much. Thanks, Vince. See you soon. Thanks, Len. We acknowledge the dark and young people, traditional custodians of the land on which our studio sits, and pay respect to their elders, past and present. We extend that respect to Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples who may listen to our podcast. My Millennial Money supports A21, a charity focused on abolishing slavery and human trafficking all over the world. Check out a21.org.au for more info. If you would like some other giving options or if you're unsure about which charity you can support, head to thelifeyoucansave.org.au.
This podcast is for education and entertainment purposes. Any advice is general financial advice only, which does not take into account your objectives, financial situation, or needs. Because of that, you should consider if the advice is appropriate to you and your needs before acting on the information. If you do choose to buy a financial product, read the product disclosure statement and obtain appropriate financial advice tailored to your needs. Simo Interactive, Proprietary Limited, the publisher of the podcast, is an authorized representative of Money Sherpa, Proprietary Limited, which holds financial services license 451289. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.